It's our hot player episode. How to know if a hot player is for real. Can you trade away a hot player before he cools off? Plus, we'll have some updates on some minor league demotions, waiver wire picks, pitcher preview, and much more. Jason Collette joins us next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing super fantastic. Ah, disastrous softball game last night. It was a close game to the last inning, and, you know, you throw a pitch, and it's up and in, and you think there's no way that guy's going to hit it, and he somehow clubbed it, and the wind took it a little bit, and Fair ball down the left field line, and everybody scores, and uh, we lose by a couple. But uh, otherwise, softball's going well. How about you? Uh, well, my softball team actually won one game and was rained out one game, so I think we're doing well on that front. And, I mean, people are watching the NFL drafts, but I think I'm more interested in baseball because this, this year's NFL draft isn't as appealing as past years. Aaron Rodgers coming to New York. Definitely a big story here if you are a Jets fan or even if you're a football fan in New York. That should be a lot more interesting than the Jets have had been in the past. Yes. All right. We've got a great show tonight. Joining us, you know him from Rotowire and from the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. Welcome to the show again, Jason Collette. How are you, Jason? Hey, I'm doing well tonight, guys. How you doing? Fantastic. And uh, we're talking before the show, but uh, hey, you're, you're Rays, man. <laughs> Rays are doing great. You must be uh, jumping up and down every night. You know, this is where I get upset because I, you know, I could have gone through fantasy draft season and drafted all the Rays and just said, you know, what, I'm a homer, whatever. And I, you know, if you'll recall, when we saw one another in Florida, I ended up taking maybe five guys, and a couple of people were like, "Oh, Jay's just taking all of his Rays again." And you know, maybe I was just an idiot savant because I knew the season was going to be so great for them at the plate. But in all seriousness, this has been amazing to watch considering there were so many times last year when they scored one or zero runs. Uh, I think it was like 34 times last year. And now they're just like even, you know, we're recording this and they're and they're beating the White Sox yet again. It's 12 to 2 and they're just beating them like a drum. And uh, it's fun and, and it's helping my fantasy teams, ones where I did invest in race I'm doing really well in. And, but I, I, you know, I know it's not gonna last forever, uh, but I'm gonna enjoy the ride. And it's a lot better than, you know, you know, let's say you're a White Sox fan and you're gonna be seven and 19. You're an A's fan, you may not even have, you're not even gonna have a team in your area in two years and that sucks. Uh, so, you know, it could be a lot worse, but this is, it's, it's been a fun baseball season overall. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but I'm really enjoying this baseball season. Yeah, currently, uh, according to the Fangraphs projections, the Rays have a 94% chance of making the playoffs. Um, the uh, ATC projections give them an 89% chance, which is one of the top in baseball. Braves, everyone, all the projection systems give the Braves as, you know, they're definitely making the playoffs, like 96%. But well, they uh, should. I, it's and like I get the 88, 94, you know, you know, the, the winning streak, yeah, the Rays won 13 in a row to come out of 14. But Milwaukee did, too, in 1987. They didn't make the postseason. Now, different postseason structure back then when it was only two divisions. Uh, but, you know, Atlanta, they're doing well right now, and they don't even have a full roster. And then you look at what Houston did this week. Houston went on the road, went to Toronto, 
came to Tampa Bay where they had where Tampa Bay hadn't lost a game yet, shut them out twice. And Houston's doing this without Jose Altuve, without Jordan Alvarez in that's in the in the Tampa Bay series at least. Michael Brantley's still not back on the roster. Uh, Ryan Presley hasn't exactly been a hundred percent. And so they they've they went on the road and just you know beat two excellent teams um, the way they did. Now they're coming home and they've got the uh, the Phillies I believe coming into town tomorrow. And I forgot the other part of their matchup. But they're looking really. The Astros are looking really good. So you know the the defending champs from last year, and then the defending champs from two years ago. There's a reason why both of these teams are heavily favored uh, to get deep in the postseason because they're both really good teams. And the parody, the parody that the Yankees are in fourth place when people pick them to win the division, and the Dodgers end of end of April they're only at 500. That it's crazy. The parody and the Pittsburgh Pirates at the early beginning of the week they had the best record in the National League without O'Neill Cruz, with O'Neill Cruz being already injured, which is just that's just crazy. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I think both of you guys could steal bases off the Dodgers this season. I don't know if you guys caught the, uh, the the entirety of that Pittsburgh series, but Pittsburgh was 12 for 12 in stolen bases off the Dodgers, and the Dodgers have thrown out five of 35 attempted stolen bases this year. Worst in baseball. Uh, and it is... And Will Smith's not going to fix that once he comes back because he's not a great thrower either. So yeah, that's where the Dodgers are going to have... That's one of the... The parts of their uh, their puzzle they're gonna have to they're gonna have to fix somehow because it is costing them games. There have there's too many runners in scoring position for them. Yeah, run, 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 and uh, teams making use of them, making use of the advantage by the new rules. I, I think it's a fun season. Uh, you know, we mentioned Pittsburgh. Andrew McCutcheon, he looks like his old self. I mean, he he has five homers and four steals right now, which is a thirty homer, twenty five steal pace. And he looks like Andrew McCutcheon of old. Uh, I posted on Twitter today that, you know, you, we saw this with Pujols. He had a resurgence in his last year at his old home in St. Louis. You had Buster Posey do that in his last year in San Francisco. I think you might be seeing it again with Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, if you haven't picked him up in your league, I don't care if you're in a 10-team league, you got to pick up Andrew McCutcheon. So uh, that's baseball for you. And today is our hot player episode. We're going to talk about... You know, last week we talked about all the cold players, so this week we're going to talk about the hot players, and should you pick them up, why not? We'll go through some player examples. But before that, going to our strategy section, going back to last week, Jake McCarthy. Jake McCarthy was demoted by the Diamondbacks, losing playing time every day, and eventually they said, that's it, you know, we're just going to go with our guys, Pavin Smith, and, and who else will take over. Question is... You know, ATC projections very high on Jake McCarthy. And looking at the ATC intervolatility metrics, um, other projection systems actually were fairly consistent. Projections agreed that he would be a great buy. Uh, we had he had a fantastic year last year. Um, t- so many steals in so little time. And he had hit for a great average. I guess projections, you know, took that too high. Or I don't know. The question to you is, Jason, why were the projections so high in Jake McCarthy? Why were people so high on him? Obviously, it was the wrong call. Or maybe not. The season's not yet over. And the question is, you know, it, was it just, uh, was it a projection error that, you know, we really didn't project him correctly and we should have? Or is this a process error where, you know what, you, when you project 10 guys this high, you're going to get six right and four wrong. And mm-hmm. so, yes, we took the L on McCarthy, but you got to trust the process because you're going to make more rights than wrong. What, what do you think is, is the case with him? 
So he is just the type of player that I'd love to dig in. Now, you know, for those listening, I don't do projection systems. I don't I don't do projections, but I do like to look at a variety of projection systems and when one guy jumps out of a system jumps out in multiple systems, then I want to do a deep dive. And what that's one of the things I did with McCarthy this year and I looked and I came away very nonplussed when I when I looked at the overall picture and I'll tell you why. I think, uh, you know, my my personal thoughts uh, is I believe that people were blinded by the speed because he came up, he stole all those bases. You know, he made a he made a lot of people a lot of money because he came up, he got him cheap, and he stole a bunch of bases, and and the speed forgave a lot of things. But then you look at the overall, you know, like you go to a Statcast page, Statcast page, you look at the overall profile, and the only measure that he had above 50% was a speed. It was a 98% sprint speed. Everything else was light to dark blue. Uh, and that to me, that was the first, my first red flag when looking at, when looking at McCarthy saying, whoa, okay, the speed, you know, speed, just like in pitching, velocity could forgive some mistakes. Well, speed on the base pass can forgive a lot of things too. If you make a lot of, if you make some bad contact, you can beat it out. You know, you get on base. That's fine, but you saw all of that, and then even if you went back and looked at his minor league track record, it wasn't that great when you took into consideration the run environments that he did some of that damage. So to me, he was one guy, and the third factor that I don't want to forget is when I went and looked at his rolling weighted on base average last year, he really closed the season on a down note. He was at peak uh, and then the last few weeks of the season just took a tumble. And to me, it was like, okay, maybe the league started figuring him out at the end. So I had that red flag. I had a stat cast profile red flag. And I had the lack of a uh, significant track record in the minor league of success. And so I, I, had no, I had him nowhere. Everybody else had him as a top 25 outfielder in ADP. I, I was way out. I did not. There were chances where I could take him. And I skipped out, did not take him. So far, I'm justified in doing that. Not to say I've completely written off this player and we're never going to see him again, but there was there were there were enough red flags there if you did a deep dive on the player after looking at the projections to make your own judgment that this should not have been a big as big of a surprise as some people are making out to be. All right, so according to you, this is a projection error. The projections were just unfairly giving him a real plus bonus for all those steals, focusing in on the last year or whatever. Um, but if you did the process, which is vet the guy more, you should have come to see the red flags. And so uh, guys who just relied on projections, uh, that was not the right process, especially for this guy, right? That's that's my that's my story. I'm sticking to it. You got to try. I mean, everything. There's all these inputs. It's how you synthesize those inputs is what differentiates fantasy baseball players. Not to, you know, not saying I, I got this one right and I'm going to get them all right. No, I, I there's a bunch of misses and I tweeted about yesterday. There were a couple of things that I said, man, this is this guy's going to work this year and it just hasn't so far. Season's not over. And, and right, McCarthy right. could come back up and roar and make this look stupid, but right now those red flags are are blowing stiff in the wind because it's exactly what happened. Yeah. Ruvain, do you agree with that this assessment or do you disagree? I agree with part of it. The speed was the blinding aspect. The pun on words, blinding speed there. The speed was the <laughs> blinding part there because of the fact that he did steal all those bases last year. But if you look at the back of his baseball card, in 2021, he only batted 220. He had three stolen bases in 24 games. Then we see the 23 stolen bases in about 100 games last year. So we're like, okay, he's making the progression. He's making the jump. 
but he still batted 220 in those 25 games. Then last year, he did he did well. He did pretty well. He batted 283. He got the 23 stolen bases, eight home runs. It was pretty good. And then maybe teams figured him out. They figured out how to pitch to him. They figured out how to, you know, um, counteract what he did right in 2022 and revert back to the 2021 stats that he had. But if you do deep dive in the numbers for this year, his ex-Woba is high, was higher this year than last year. He's had a horrible bad this year. He's had a bad luck. And he's on a team, the Diamondbacks, that weren't expected to do anything right now. But they are in first place. As we're taping this, they're in first place. So they're actually trying to learn on the fly. And they can't have McCarthy up and, make, and learning on the job in the big leagues if they're trying to make a push. Now, a he also probably had some of the other prospects and, and other uh, other pl- players on, on the on the Diamondbacks roster breathing down his neck a little bit because they did acquire um, the, the former rookie of the year from, from the Mariners. And here, like, you know, maybe he was a little bit putting too much pressure on himself. I, I think that's very possible also. But the fact that the Diamondbacks are trying to push a little and win and they're seeing they're getting great pitching from Zach Gallon, you know, he, he's having a great year so far and they're pushing and they're actually in first place because the Dodgers aren't doing that well. So it's possible that in a normal season, if the Diamondbacks weren't as good as they are at the start of the season, he still would be up, and he'd still be uh, making the corrections on the major league level. But because of where the Diamondbacks are, he's a he's a victim of the process, and he was sent back down. So before I give my thoughts on McCarthy, I uh, just want to point out that you know this discussion of you know was the process right, was it parameter error, I think is even more important than just saying, what should we do with him with fantasy now? And we'll talk about that too, but mm-hmm. I think this discussion is really important. Um, I actually think it's partially parameter, partially process. Um, what I got wrong, and again, I, I'm taking the L on McCarthy. I mean, it was just totally wrong on him. Um, the, the part of the process that was wrong was the playing time, that I assumed the Diamondbacks would be bad, so he would get the playing time anyways. He'll be there, and he'll accumulate the stolen bases, even if he doesn't hit for power, which you know I really didn't think he would be. But he'll at least get you 25, 30 stolen bases. And he was going at such a discount. I wasn't paying full price for him. Right? Mm-hmm. The projection showed he was $7 or five, five, six, seven dollars more than, than I paid. I, was, you know, I bought him where I could at a good discount. Um, hard to pass up big discounts, you know. If it was only a huh, dollar over two dollars, well, I'm not going to bet on a on a you know rookie or a guy with limited experience on that. But when it's that much and the projections agreed so much, usually this is a good buy, right? I think the process is right. This is when to buy, but the playing time, which projections don't get right 100 percent of the time, that was an assumption that it would be there. And it wasn't because the Diamondbacks are doing better. They don't have time to fool around now and say, let, let McCarthy get right. No, no. Let's play who we have now that's hot. McCarthy, go down to the minors. If you get better, sure, we'll put you in. It was that part of that process that, that we got wrong the most. And, you know, I would say this for you, Ariel, when you, when I'm looking at the projections, because one of the things I do is I, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I look across multiple sets and what you, the projection, I'm, I'm looking back at when I wrote my bold prediction for McCarthy saying he wasn't going to be a top 40 outfielder at the time, his ADP was 109 with a min of 77 and a max of 134. You know, you had projected 561 plate appearances uh, and the bad X and steamer were right there with you. Everything else, like you mentioned, a lot of everything was the projections were very well aligned. 
mind. You weren't you know, you weren't out there on anything. Everything else, there's another number that was no, extremely right, close right. to you. So it's like it wasn't like you shouldn't take that big of an L because everybody right. kind of took the L on this. Projection systems took the L on this right now. Um, but it's still he's still like I said. There, these things are fix, fixable. I think really what it comes down to is when you have somebody that fast, often that slug, you know, some of the minor league slugging percentage, people fall in love with that power. And sometimes that's just leg power. You know, you're getting those doubles and triples that are otherwise singles and doubles for some other hitters. And yeah. they're turning that into that. And especially, again, those run environments he played in in the Arizona um, farm system really helped. And then there's confirmation bias. So, you know, preseason, you look at roster resource, and they got him batting third. Wow, then he must be good if he's batting third in this lineup, right? You know, you see a couple things online that just confirm, well, you know, checks out every way. Sure, he's inexperienced, but, hey, everybody says he's going to be great, right? So, right. you know, you have that kind of thing, and it's easy to get. You know, I feel like, in, I feel like he's – like. The the old Rockies who uh, were big, fast guys, and, you know, you think, well, got to get him for Roto. We're talking about Garrett Hampson, who is constantly a bust. Ezekiel Tovar looks like a bust this year. How about Ramiel Tapia? Like, I just think of the Rockies, and there's guys who are threats to steal. Oh, boy, got to get him in Roto. They just turn out to be bust. And maybe we should have known that this was that kind of profile and to stay away from that. Uh, maybe, maybe that's it. So uh, now the question, of course, is how do you handle him in fantasy? Now, Jason, I'm assuming that uh, as long as you're not in a mono league, it's a drop right now. Do you agree? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many. We're all dealing with so many different injuries on our roster. It's really tough to carry somebody uh, that we may not, you know, he may not be back for a few weeks. Uh, I know some some other guys were looking at, oh, maybe it's just a 20 day thing. So he'll still get the credit for the service time and whatnot. But he may not be back for a while. And I know in some of my teams, I've had to cut some guys that I really like just because they're hurt and I, I can't afford I can't afford to carry multiple hurt guys. So for me, uh, McCarthy's just, it's a, he's a drop and then you may have to buy him twice. You may have to pay for him again. Uh, if you, um, you know, you spent good draft capital, you may have to spend good fab capital now. Yeah. Again, it's sunk cost. So, you know, it is what it is. Ruvain, let's go to you first on, let's talk about Jordan Walker. And I, I can't believe how much money people spent on him right away. I mean, sure, he's he's electric. He had a lot of homers in a short amount of time in spring training. Uh, we all saw in the, the Arizona Foley last year, you know, his incredible ability. But, um, you know, the, the place where he was going right before the season started, uh, even without him being secured was uh, on the roster, was to me just insane. And look where he is. He's back right now. And really it's because you got to play Nolan Gorman and – you know, he, he basically he's the DH, and since Walker's not going to be DHing, he's got to play every day, and that's going to be in AAA until there's an injury. Uh, so, Ruvain, um, again, was the process right for us to ignore Jordan Walker, or to say we're not paying that that that, that amount of fantasy capital? And what is your rest of season outlook for Jordan Walker? Well, I think the process was wrong because we believed in the spring training stats. One thing you should know is never believe in spring training stats. They don't mean anything. They don't count for anything. And people fall in love with spring training, spring training darlings, and they get screwed over because they end up paying too much. If you if you enter slow draft and during spring training, you see someone has a good game, they get drafted the next day. If someone has a good game, they have a bad game, they get pushed back. We the process for the fact that he got pushed up so quickly and so fast 
because of the spring training. I think that was, that's, that was the problem. I mean, he's not even 21. He has yet, he's finally playing his first games now at AAA. He skipped AAA, went straight from AA to AAA. His K rate was up this year. His walk rate was down, but he just needs more seasoning. He's just not ready. The Cardinals almost felt, quote unquote, obligated to play him just because of the spring he had. He won a spot on the roster, but he didn't do enough during the course of the season so far to keep that spot because the Cardinals are so deep. And then you look at the AAA right now. Who if who would be called up first? Is Jordan Walker going to be called up first, or is Juan Yepes going to be called up first? I think if the Cardinals, uh, a couple months down the road, they need someone, they ain't going to call up Juan Yepes. They're not going to call up Jordan Walker only because Yepes has been there already. They know what they're going to get from him. Jordan Walker is, or to me, he was a wild card, which is why I didn't want to pay the price for him. I thought he was going at a ridiculous price early on, and I didn't see the need to have to spend such a high draft, so much draft capital on such an unknown. Yeah, I don't think you spent that much on Walker, right, 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 uh, uh, Jason? Uh, I didn't have him anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I mean, he was in the drafts that I – now, again, I don't do NL only. Uh, I didn't make my way into an NL only league this year, but he went over $20 in both the ones that I uh, said. And I, I want to say he was – I want to say he went 20 in labor and tout because I was in both of those rooms – uh, with that, but no, I, I don't have any. And, and you know, Riven made a good point about spring training. Let's not forget, you know, Walker was, you know, you couldn't get him out in spring training. He was hitting home runs all over the place. He looked fantastic. But to me, it's, you know, we saw, we've had some phenomenal rookies come up lately. Phenomenal rookies that have done really well and kind of blown the curve for everybody else. And so even when Walker got sent down, it wasn't like he was doing that badly. Uh, but it, it's just, there are other guys on the roster that are doing better and they want at that age, you know, he needs consistent everyday playing time. If they can't give it, it, give it to him. It was the right move to send him down to Memphis. This was all, I mean, this was a risk all along with him, but people were so bought into, we made the opening day roster. Let's go. Uh, and let's not forget this was uh, last year. This was Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe made the opening day roster had, had gaudy minor league numbers, Everybody else was, let's go. We're in on Josh Lowe, and he was back in Durham within a few weeks. Uh, and it took him a while to come back. I don't believe Jordan Walker is going to be down in Memphis for a while. I'm hoping he's down at least long enough that Memphis makes a trip here to Charlotte so I can see him play in person again. Uh, but that's about as selfish as I want to get. I haven't checked the schedule nice. to see. <laughs> I know Memphis was just here about two weeks ago, and Matthew Libertor was here pitching. Um, but I don't know if they're going to come back anytime soon. That may have been their one visit, which stinks. So I'll have to hold out for uh, Louisville coming here so I can see Andrew Abbott pitch um, here in Charlotte. Yeah, I think the thing here is the principle is return on investment because, you know, McCarthy, that required a big investment. And, yes, the projection said buy him anyways, but the dollar amount you had to pay was great. And the same thing with Walker. The dollar amount was great. You take a guy like Anthony Volpe, you know, the, you know he's hitting homers, a couple of bases. His average is not great, but, you know, he's not going to lose you much profit because the cost wasn't that big. And even, you know, even when he was called up, talking about like a $5 play, not like a $15 play. Mm -hmm. uh, so re return on investment really is there. If it's a rookie, there's just a threshold of investment you can really spend. And sure, I understand that there's the Bobby Wits that it all works out. But for every one of those, it doesn't work out for, for a bunch. And you're talking about, and you brought up Anthony Volpe. There's less of a risk of him losing playing time because the Yankees don't have a real true shortstop on their roster, while the Cardinals have a bunch of different outfielders. They're known for all their great outfielders, and there was always that inherent risk that Jordan Walker would lose playing time just because there are other more seasoned outfielders there. That's yeah. absolutely right.
That's a great point. That matters a lot. So now on to hot players as the hot players show. Uh, we talked last week about how do you know when a cold player is legit or not. Well, Jason, how do you, can you tell by looking at some stats or other things? or what, what other things can you look at to see a hot player who's really performing well unexpectedly and to say, ah, no, that guy is for real, or all right, that guy's for real with a little bit of regression, or nah, that guy is just totally lucky and he's going to come back to earth. I mean, we get we have to look at a few things. It doesn't take that long for exit velocity to stabilize. So if a guy's starting to hit the ball really hard that we haven't seen that before, that should get your attention. You know, if you see a dramatic change in, in, in some statistic, I, I was looking at a couple of things yesterday. And you guys, Mets fans, you you know this weirdness with Francisco Lindor right now, how he's pulling everything out of nowhere. He's never been this type of hitter, but he's pulling everything like uh, and he's hitting a lot of stuff in the air we've never seen this kind of thing from him before uh and it's just it's just weird but we have a lot of this stuff but you have to look for exit velocity changes i look for the setup changes does a guy's swing look different has he you know eliminated eliminated something and i'm not saying that this is going to be permanent success moving forward but if you have written off a guy in the past and he's doing something different then look at that to see what what has you back in. Like, you know, Jared Kelnick, Brandon Marsh, good examples of guys that weren't that, you know, Jared Kelnick was terrible last year. Uh, Brandon Marsh has had his moments. Both of these guys, you know, when play started today, they were uh, two of the top four uh, by a few offensive measures. So it's been amazing to see what they've done, and we know they've made some changes. So it's really those types of things. And then have, has their playing time situation changed? Have they vaulted up? I mean, Jack Sawinski's had a bunch of noise lately after the big week that he had last week, a lot of it in Colorado. Jack Sawinski really wasn't on a lot of draft radars, but now he's playing every single day, and even if it's a lefty out there, they just lower him a little bit in the lineup rather than bench him. So all of a sudden, his you know his viability in fantasy has gone up because we don't have to worry about him losing all that playing time by not even being in the lineup. They're keeping him out there every day. Maybe you have to make some batting average adjustments to that because he's going to be in some uh, tougher matchups, but he's out there every single day. Uh, and the, and Pittsburgh is putting guys in motion. I mean, Zawinski's got three steals himself. So I, I'm always looking for changes, whether it's process, whether it's something we can see in the numbers, whether it's playing time change. These are the types of things that you know, playing time changes come when the team recognizes, hey, you're doing hot. We're going to we're going to reward you for that and move you up in the lineup and do some things like that. So those are just some of the variables that come into the decision process for Jason Collette. Yeah, I agree with everything there. Of course, you know, for relievers, leverage is also a good indicator of they're using him in better situations as the analogy to the lineup. Uh, you know, before I ask Ruvain uh, to add to this list, you know, it saddens me as a Met fan to, to, to talk about Kelnick when Edwin Diaz, the guy he was traded for, is not playing this year. So this year, Seattle, you win the trade for 2023 yeah sorry to sorry to scratch that wound guys (laughs) (laughs) thanks jason (laughs) ruvain all right anything to add to what to look for yes look to see what they're swinging at see if they're swinging at pitches in the zone if they're bad ball swinging if they're hot right now they're probably swinging at pitches that are more in the zone than not is it lucky? How's their BABIP? Is their BABIP high? Is their BABIP close to 400? You know, that's not sustainable. Um, are they are there walking more? Are they also, besides getting the hits, are they getting on base walking? That's very important also. All these things to show that they've that, this, that the hot player can continue this throughout the course of the season. Jason, do you think it's easier to detect 
realness in the hot in the hot to playing for a hitter than it is for the pitcher. I kind of think that a lot of times, you know, you can have a pitcher have two good outings in a row and then, oh, blow up time. Yeah, it is. Uh, sometimes it will be easier for that. I mean, for pitchers, I know I, I'm as guilty as anybody else. I will watch one outing and be like, oh, yeah, I am all in on this. This was amazing. Yeah, I felt I, I didn't end up getting him in draft season, but I remember watching a particular outing in spring uh, from Michael Kopech and thinking, okay, look, he's turned the corner. This looks great. He's commanding this. It was like a three inning, and he was just blowing everybody away. Uh, and he has sucked. This I mean, he's got a seven oh one ERA has not looked well. There's nothing going right for him right now, much like the rest of the White Sox roster. But it, it hasn't been good. So you can sometimes you do uh, fall into that trap. But we only get to see these, especially starting pitchers, once a week, sometimes twice a week. And you, you see him in a one start week, and all of a sudden it's Fab Weekend. He's going to be a two start guy. You're going to take that chance and be more aggressive. Where if it's a hitter that you know has is, is let you down before you're not like do i really want to get back in it's like if you may have missed you may have missed all the magic uh w- with the guy at this point like if you like jake Berger um hit another home run tonight uh, how long is this story going to last before something regresses with him or he the injury bug hits him like it has every single year uh sometimes you've you've missed that magic uh, and but if you can, that's why exit velocity is a nice thing because it removes all those biases. You can go look at it and say, "Oh wow, here over the last week, this dude's starting to sting the ball. It hasn't showed up in the numbers yet. I'll give him a chance this week, and let's see what happens." You know, I actually disagree. I actually think that I take more of a chance on the hitter than the pitcher because the downside on the pitcher is huge with the blow up. You know, uh, if if uh, you pick up a guy and well, he's gone back to his old mm-hmm. self. All right, so you get a couple of zeros. You get a couple of counting stats, zeros, sure. But when you have a pitcher who, uh uh-oh, he's back to his bad self, well, that's seven earned runs in two innings. That's like Uh, Dylan Cease tonight wore it. And I I got a question for you two. Uh, Not that it's on the rundown or anything, but it's something I've noticed. Do you guys have any explanation why the first inning ERA league-wide is an absolute disaster this year? It's higher than any other inning in, in in the splits. It's like five, I think it was 524 entering play today. There's been just been there's been a lot of first inning blowups and I can't explain it. I, I don't know why this is happening, but every time I look at the game, there's a four, there's a five spot being hung up on a starter. I'm not talking an opener. I'm talking an actual starting pitcher giving up four or five runs in the first inning. I mean, moving can, can make guesses as well, and for me, it's just guesses. There's just so many things that have been changing in the league. You know, who knows who knows about the ball? Maybe the ball's different. Mm-hmm. Um, is the pitch clock? creating stress among pitchers that they just can't cope with the timing mechanism and it's taking them a couple of innings to get into it. I uh, don't know. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier on an earlier show this year that, you know, you're getting more ace pitchers having these clunkers. Um, and, you know, they're going to have good outings, but there's just more risk of having a clunker because week week to week, you, you may not get into the groove of, of the uh, – of, of pitching, you know, if, if you have to hurry because of the pitch clock, if you're a little fatigued, it exa- it exacerbates the issue, mm-hmm. and maybe you're off more, and if you're off the first, you're just off and off and off. On days where you're totally fine, the pitch clock getting used to doesn't matter, but on days where you're off, it just highlights the issues more, and that, that's my theory, but again, who knows, could be the ball, could be the bases, could be the throwing, could be the worried about something else, maybe... This is a different year because they actually had a spring training versus the last couple of years where they didn't. You have the World Baseball Classic. There's so many things to, that could be. Any guesses, Ruvain? 
trying usually in the first inning when the pitcher is, is starting pitching, he's figuring out which pitches work for him that day. So if he doesn't have the time to actually stop and think and take his time to see, oh wait, this pitch is not working for me, let me change to something else, and he has to quickly pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch, you're going to end up with some meatballs over the plate. You're going to get some more walks in the first inning. And I think that's the, that's the whole thing. They're, they always said about a good pitcher, if you don't get them in the first inning, you're never going to get to them. Well, this is what's happening. The, the, the first inning is when the pitcher gets a feel for the ball for that day, wherever they are, whatever temperature it is outside, whatever the weather, whatever the atmosphere, whatever it is, they get a feel for in the first inning. And if they have to pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch, and they're not getting a chance to think and, and, and have all the data of which pitch is working, which is not working, which I want to throw, where do I want to throw it, that's when they start leaving the pitchers out over the plate because they're going to go back to their bread and butter. And when the hitters know what to expect, meaning they know what the best what the pitcher's best pitch is, and they're looking for the secondary stuff, and then the pitcher starts throwing the secondary stuff, that's when they start to get hit. That's a great point. It's probably mental as well as physical, you know. Um, so great points. So, so Jason, let's talk about trading. You know, how do you know when to trade away a hot player that you think is going down, and? How do you know when to trade for a hot player? Maybe there's somebody you think is for real that maybe the owner doesn't, but you do. How can you tell the scenarios of when to and to trade from and away? Uh, first of all, never trade for a hot player. You're going to overpay for him. <laughs> and and, and that's the other piece of it. It's, it's really tough to trade, uh, trade away a hot player, too, because you have to be willing to separate you have to be realistic about how you evaluate that player. So let's say you know, let's say you you purchased a player in the in the draft uh, in the auction rather for like fifteen dollars, and he's currently performing at a twenty five dollar rate. You can't trade him like he's a twenty five dollar player because that's not if we can't guarantee. There's no guarantee he's going to be that the rest of the season. Maybe he's a twenty guy, so maybe you do value him a little bit differently than you did draft day, but you can't value him at the rate where he's on the heater you just can't and that's where that's where i see a lot of trades because i know a lot of folks uh there's so much focus on nfbc and non-trade leagues but you know for those who listen and play you know i play in multiple home leagues where we do have trading uh and this is where it always gets the challenge as soon as somebody's hot somebody's like oh i never saw this guy coming i'm gonna put him out in the block and now you know he probably is worth a third starting pitcher but i'm gonna ask for a two now because this is the new reality and then nothing ever happens and then you've then you're you have that player on that cold streak and so you had the hot but you got greedy and then you had to absorb the cold streak the, the goal is to get rid of that player before he's going to get cold i mean i see uh, a name on the run i don't want to jump that far ahead but there's a particular pitcher on the list of guys you want to talk about i absolutely if i had him i would be trying to trade him in a heartbeat this week and i would take like 90 percent, 85 90 percent of perceived value to get him off my roster and by the way, there is one home league where actually you, me, and Ruvain are all playing in, uh, in GDD, if uh, if I recall. That's right. And Ruvain is a point out of first place, by the way. So uh, yeah, kudos. I think that's one of the leagues where I'm. Uh, is that one of the ones I'm dealing with? Uh, my leagues this year, if I'm healthy, I'm doing extremely well. Yeah. If I'm same not here, healthy, I'm here. doing awful. That that's that's pretty much down. Like I am first place in AL Labor, uh, and I'm in uh, second or third in AL Talent. I'm in first or second in XFL. I'm, I'm doing really well in those leagues. I'm in like third or fourth, depending on the day, in uh, TGFBI and my Roto ROC. But there are other teams where I've just been killed by injuries, and I'm just scraping the bottom, and it's killing me. Yeah, same here. And there was one league where I have 
where I had at the start of the season $120 of the 260 on the IL to start the season, and I'm in third place in labor. So well, that's good for you. Cool. I've got uh, I, I'm one of my DCs, one of my 50-team uh, draft and holds. I have 14 guys that are out right now. 14. I'm down to one healthy. I have 10 pitchers to choose well, from every week. It's in that, awful. In that league, the league we're talking about where I'm in second place, I have yeah. Justin Verlander and Luis Severino as my one-two pitchers. So I think when we're talking about the trades, I think you have to look at your roster and see what you're trying to do. I'm waiting for these injured guys to come back. Am I going to trade for a hot guy and, and lose a commodity that I have? No, I think I can wait it out a little bit because I know how long these, hopefully these players will come, be coming back. I think my team is, ho is holding water. It's in second place. So it, it's doing pretty well right now. So I don't. It, I think for trading for a hot player, it depends on where your team is. Do you need it? If you're in close to the bottom and you see you have a bunch of injuries and the only thing that'll shake up your roster is to maybe get that hot guy that'll jumpstart your team. You mm -hmm. could do that. I, I think that's really the only way because, listen, this is like the stock market. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to buy low and sell high. If you do the opposite, you're not going to make money. You're not going to win. And I think that's that's basically how it goes. That's right. So, Jason, you said that it's hard to trade or you don't want to trade for a hot player, right? Uh, and it's hard to trade your hot player. Do you think it's easier to trade away a cold player or to trade for a cold player? Is that like that kind of trade easier? You think? Uh, I find it to be, I find it to be easier to trade away a cold player because yeah, you know, the, the other the other folks aren't coming in too greedy. You may even they may even be willing to give up somebody because they they rec they recognize okay this guy's cold. So let's use Francisco Lindor as an example because we were talking about him earlier. You know they recognize you're probably frustrated with something and like you're you're you want to move him and the other owners like I need I need to get him I need to get him and so you may end up getting more value than you thought you could because that other guy knows that a heater's on the way and they want to get on the front end of that heater rather than try to catch it up at the top so if I'm a team let's say I'm a team that uh, you got hit lost Corey Seager and I'm looking for I need another shortstop type of thing and I've been trying to stream some warm bodies in that roster spot and it's not working yeah I'd, I'd be reaching out to the Francisco Lindor owner to try to, to try to get something I may even be willing to overpay at this point so it depends on those kind of market conditions yeah i think that name value means a lot and to be honest in trading uh desperation means a lot if you mm -hmm. go to a team that's really low on hitting and they need a hitter they might be desperate enough to trade a pitcher who you know is a cold pitcher who you think is a lot better to and to get that hitter even though it's a lousy trade or uh you know you think it's a lousy trade but the desperation aspect of it really helps well jason l let me t let me explain something here we have uh, we're me and Ariel in our home league and we made a trade already for a cold player we traded for manny machado we are in first place in that league we traded away jacob de grom do you think that's a fair trade a cold manny machado for a jacob de grom for a team that's in first place I do, uh, because if you are of the theory that Jacob Degrom uh, will eventually return home to the IL, then the yes, get, you know, get in front of that. <laughs> <laughs> just take the risk, like you know, exactly. Machado's, it, low, Machado's lower risk. Just let him absorb the risk, and now we're getting a similarly valued player with no less risk. Sure, and that's that's exactly my mindset in all seriousness. It's like you have more risk moving forward. Uh, you know, Degrom, if you, if like everybody always likes to say, if you could remove the the injury risk and just put it in, his health factor at ninety nine, he could arguably be the best pitcher in baseball. But in oh, fantasy baseball, he'd be a one one pick. Best but you can never count on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's do a couple of examples to talk about the player, whether we think it's legit or not. 
go through a little quicker than some of the other stuff. But uh, let's start with Tampa Bay Rays, Yandy Diaz. And, uh, you know, we took the L on McCarthy. ATC projections, largest value, according to Dollar, and we did this in one of our offseason shows, it was Yandy Diaz. There was nobody that ATC projections showed would be as good a bargain as Yandy. Now, obviously, ATC and nobody else projected this, hitting all those homers, but... Um, you know, the the value, the guy, that was the guy I have on a lot of rosters because the projections showed it. Uh, the process was good. Uh, Hitting-wise, he's hitting just like he usually does. We're talking 15% walk rate, 13% strikeout rate. I mean, those are what he usually does, which are phenomenal. And walks and strikeout rates, they stabilize quickly, so we know this is him. Everything looks legit. He's batting leadoff for a good team. The only thing that looks a little bit uh, that will regress is the homers. Sure, he's not going to hit this many homers. He's not going to be in the pace for 35 homers. We know he's not that kind of guy. But last year, I think it was a little bit fluky low. His homer to fly ball rate last year was just 7%. So that that should go up. So ATC projections projecting 14 homers rest of the season. So basically, I think he's... uh, Maybe a 15-homer guy, maybe even a little bit more. I think he's that as opposed to just a you know low-teens homer guy. But we're talking about a guy who last year returned $13 of value. And with the hot start, I think it's fair to say he's going to return just as much, maybe more. Definitely a good buy for the price here. And if you have him, you're holding him. Uh, if you can somehow get him at a nice price, assuming a little bit of a decline in homers, I, I think he's absolutely legitimate. Jason? Yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on as a guest and let me talk about Yandy Diaz. Uh, this I love. Uh, <laughs> Yandy Diaz has been one of my favorite guys to have in fantasy baseball because he qualifies at both positions. You know, he plays that, and he, you know, and he's just been. I was thrilled when the club signed him to the extension this year, and he's going to hit leadoff. He's like the atypical leadoff guy because he's so big and he can't. He does not have speed. He just doesn't do that. But he hits this absolute snot out of the baseball. And, and we've we've known this, but it, usually it's into the ground. And that's been the big change this year is that he is finally, finally getting the loft to the ball that we've all wanted to get out of him. And you look at his spray and he hit another home run tonight. And the only reason I bring up that home run is because it's the first one he set to the opposite field this year. Everything else has been pull jobs. And that's where Yandy Diaz is different this year. He is looking to lift and launch to the pull side. Uh, and that has not been, you know, line drives all over the field is what he would just hit it where the pitcher threw him the ball. If they want to throw him a breaking ball away, okay, I'll slap it the other way. You really could not. The funny thing was teams would, they would shift. We know it's bad to shift right-handed hitters, and they would put three guys on the left side of the bag when it was legal to do the shift. And Yanni would just continually just hit it through the hole because that's the kind of back control that he has. But right now, he's actually opened his swing up a little bit, and he's, you know, he's striking out a bit more than he had. But he's already halfway to, he's over halfway to his career high in home runs. His career high was 13. He's got seven now. Uh, and it's, it's a different guy. This gets back to what I was talking about earlier. You can see a process change in in his approach he's now no longer just hitting what the pitchers give him he's out there hunting and if he gets what he wants he will hit it but he still has he's got some of the best plate discipline in the league you rarely see him chase stuff 
Uh, he is very good at pitch recognition, can still work counts, and will gladly accept the walk if he doesn't get the pitch that he wants. So it's if he's a really good guy, like if you want to sit back and watch a guy on another team that's not on your favorite team and watch his approach to hitting, Yandy Diaz is somebody that I strongly recommend because it's a very disciplined plate appearance. Um, in fact, he's up right now as I'm talking uh, here in the ninth inning trying to tack on. So it's uh, uh, it's fun. I, I love him. Uh, I think he this is his production is sustainable as long as his lower half stays healthy. He's always had an issue with a quad injury, hamstring. It, it takes a lot to slow down the big tank when he's on the, when he's in motion on the bases, and that's where things run into issue. He's got to have those legs, and when he doesn't, that's when you see the swing fall apart. Uh, I've often hitting coaches, not that I am one, but they often talk about the holy trinity of the hands, the core and the legs. And you have to have those. And with Yandi, if any one of those gets out, the swing just absolutely falls apart and it's back to soft contact garbage. Uh, that was how Tampa Bay got him in the first place way back when from Cleveland. So um, yes, him, I think it's sustainable because he's still going to hit high in the lineup. And there's been a definite process change to his swing this year. Pretty cool to talk about, uh, your Ray for uh, for a little while uh, on how good he is, and I totally totally agree, uh, Jason. Um, you know the the plan this year for drafting at third base to me was simple. I, I didn't spend any money on getting a top third baseman because there was two pockets. There was the Alec Bohm Ryan McMahon pocket, pretty low down, and I'm totally comfortable getting those at huge discounts. And if I didn't get any one of those, the answer is Andy Diaz for a dollar. I mean, that's just a no-brainer. And even if I got the bone or whatever, I picked the Andy Diaz anyways. Uh, so that was just absolutely a win here. Yeah, y- Yandy Diaz has been my guy. I- I- he- I've been on him for years. You know that already. I think the only two things that kept him out of the lineup were it was injury, just like uh, Jason mentioned. He missed three months in 2019 due to injury. And Jimon Choi, they-, they kept taking him out to have Jimon play because they wanted the lefty-righty split. His launch angle has changed. His he's barreling up the ball ten percent more than normal, and he is a physical specimen. Have you ever seen him? He is a like you said, he's a tank. He's he's like an like an uber tank. He is built, <laughs> and and he just if he can, he was able to unlock that power. It, it's to can take it to another level. He can hit the thirty home runs this year. Right back to you, Ruvain. Nico Horner looks fantastic this year. Um, what? Why don't you give your thoughts on whether you think his great play is sustainable? I do think his great play is sustainable. I think he's, the main we're getting out of him now is stolen bases. He's got 10 already so far for the season. His K rate, 6.4. That's already for a full month, so we know what he's doing. He's batting lean off. The Cubs, they're stealing bases. They're stealing a ton of bases. Um, they're one of the teams in the, in the top five of stolen bases in all of baseball. So they're running. They're pushing the envelope. There's no reason why he can't continue to do this. He's not known as a true power hitter, but if he, if he hits you 10, 15 home runs and steals you 25 30 bases as a leadoff hitter scoring runs i think there's no reason why you can't well he can't sustain what he's doing do you agree jason uh, i agree with Raven. I, I love uh horner for the versatility i love the speed i mean he, as you said the cubs are running a bunch horner's 10 of 12 uh, for stolen bases this year and that's in 64 opportunities and for those who don't know stolen base opportunity is is you're on base and the next base in front of you is unoccupied so if you're on first seconds open if you're on second thirds open he's had 64 opportunities he's he's attempted 12 steals uh and that's that's twice that's uh two times above the league average so he is out there moving uh and that's 
that's what you want. And uh, as we said with Yandi, Horner was dirt cheap because we knew what his limitations were coming into the season. Like, okay, he can't do this. He can't do this. But we knew he could run. I mean, he, he stole 20 bases last year. We knew he could run. And it was going to be last year. It was mostly down, down in the lineup. But now it's a different story. And he's setting the table, uh, getting on base a ton, which is nothing new because he did it in, in 2021 in limited time as well. And so he's just getting a chance to showcase his skills again. And people that invested late round picks in him are, are getting uh, handsomely rewarded here. Yeah, I remember we had a conversation with uh, Sarah Sanchez on Nico Horner, and, you know, she was like, I don't get why nobody saw this guy coming. And when you look into it, you know, the reasons why projections and nobody was really on him was because he had a lost season in the minors because of, of COVID. He ha- was hurt in the minors, so he missed some good productive seasons where he would have put up better numbers. And then when he did play in the minors, because of the injuries, he wasn't performing well. Mm-hmm. So the MLEs got screwed up. So until you get to the major leagues and you see him actually doing it, there's no projection of him doing that. So it, it was one of these guys that just got lost in the shuffle because uh, projections had no way of saying, wait a minute, actually this guy is much better. There was no data to show that he was. Um, but he's a legitimate 285-plus hitter, 10 homers, 25 stolen base player. That is uber useful, and he's probably more than 25 stolen base uh, player. I mean, he already has 10 right now. He could end up with 30, maybe even more if the Cubs – still run obviously he's hitting 340 now that's not going to happen but 285 rest of the way totally and the projections really show that now it took a couple years but he's there I mean if you like Stephen Kwan I like Nico Horner so much better than Stephen Kwan uh so this is absolutely legit let's do a couple more how about sticking with the Cubs Patrick Wisdom um certainly having power but is this one of these he's hot and regress types Jason you know, I don't. Here's the thing with Patrick Wisdom: embrace him for what he is, and not for, and don't hate him for what he isn't. He's never going to make good contact. Who cares? Who cares? He hits this. You know, I said earlier about Yandy. Hits the snot out of the baseball. That's what Patrick Wisdom do. And it, you, you have to take the good with the bad. It's kind of the player that you would take if you're, you know, if your team is hurting for power. You can't, and you know a slump's coming with with Wisdom because the profile says, yeah, this is this profile's full of risk. So what? It's like the last couple of years, yeah, he struck out a ton, but he's hit 25-plus home runs in each of the last two seasons. And he's already got nine this year uh, um, you know, in a lot less playing time. And he's, But the good news is he's actually lowered his strikeout rate a little bit. So it's the third consecutive year that he's lowered his strikeout rate. And you know, this level of production is unsustainable. Then you look at the, the rest of the season projections, you, know, you have them uh, that – uh, it's 17 home runs the rest of the way. So that gets him to 26 home runs, one higher than last year. But, you know, it's it's one of these guys where you can't trade him getting back to the hot-cold thing. Nobody's going to take this in a trade because they're going to be like, oh, no, the slump's coming, everything. So you just ride it out, and, and you embrace him for what he is, uh, and just don't worry about and try to insulate yourself for what he, what he could do to your roster uh, if he hits a massive slump. Yeah, I picked him up for like 30 bucks in Tout Wars, 30 bucks out of a, a thousand. Uh, sure, I'll ride the hot streak, and, you know, I'm, I'm good with cutting him in a couple of weeks when he cools down. Totally fine. Uh, I think we know who he is. He is he is what he is. By the way, do you see uh, J- Joey Gallo? Speaking of uh, pure power hitters, Joey Gallo is batting, I kid you not, 262. I didn't know that you could have a number with a two in it for his batting average, but alas, he's batting 262 with seven homers. 
he's totally back. Uh, is it the ball this year? Are these guys, or is he just healthy? Uh, what do you think it's a combination of? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, the ball, it's it's not. We haven't seen anything that says, "Hey, the ball has changed." I, I, if, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I do like a daily update, looking at, "Hey, this is where the offense environment was over the last this March April compared to this time last year and this time two years ago." And, and the ball, the offensive environment is definitely up from this time last year. Like home runs, the contact is up twenty-two percent over this time last year, but it's down. 6% from two years ago at this time. Uh, and so it's like we, a little recency bias comes into play there where people are like, oh, hey, uh, you know, this is, you know, it's it's different. Well, yeah, it's different last year because last year we saw so many one nothing, 2 to one 2 to nothing games in March and April, and we're not seeing that right now. We're seeing the exact opposite. But 2021, we're actually seeing a bit less offense. The only thing that has been sticky and as far as change is the steals. Stolen bases are up 44% from this time two years ago, and they're up 27% from this time last year. So that is here to stay. Uh, I don't see that going away too much. The league is, is converting stolen bases at an 80% success rate. Uh, as long as they're converting them like this, they're going to keep running. The league was 27 of 29 two nights ago this week in stealing bases. That's crazy. I mean, we could, we could go a week and not see 27 stolen bases a few years ago, and we're seeing, 20, we're seeing 29 attempts in a single night. Yeah, stolen base is absolutely legit. Power, I guess, remains to be seen. It's early, though, but I, I do think it's back a little. Hey, uh, or maybe it's because of the pitch clock and the pitchers are giving up more meatballs. I, it's too hard. It's, too, it's hard to tell, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, Ruvain, uh, let's let's get to the elephant in the room, which is uh, Jared Kalanick, uh, who finally looks like he can be somewhat productive, uh, as we alluded to. Uh, we don't like talking about this guy, but... Uh, we sort of have to here. Uh, do you think that what he's doing will stick, or will he translate back down to the uh, 141 hitter? Uh, he actually now has a career 189 batting average. We know he has a power speed blend, but do you think this is legit, and is he the prospect that everyone thought he would be? I think he is legit. I think he, the same reason why we were all scratching our heads why he was doing so poorly now, we're scratching our heads what happened, what turned it around. Well, he did have a new hitting coach over the offseason. Mm-hmm. Actually, his new hitting coach was his old hitting coach. He had Tim Laker, and he just went back to the basics. So what is he doing now? His home run to fly ball rate is a little bit crazy. It's not sustainable, but he's always done that. But he's pulling the ball more, pulling the ball, ball much more. He's less shift conscious he's his launch angle he's cut in half he's hitting more line drives so he's barreling the ball up more doing all this stuff he's not trying to hit home runs he's trying to hit line drives and those line drives because of the launch angle are be are going out and he's hitting for average because he's a lefty and there's no shift now so he's one i think he may be one of the main benefactors from having no shift there and the fact that now he's got his confidence back confidence for a baseball player can do wonders and the fact that he started off the year like this not that he started off slow and then built up on it he started off like this i think he's just going to take off and i think if you can if you can trade for him do it i, I think he's going to be a long-term guy um especially for this year this year i think he can he can continue it i don't see why not so i think he's turned it around and i think he is possibly the second i think maybe the best player on the mariners right now uh, Julio Rodriguez is playing well, but I think Kalenic right now, because of him, it's it, he's he's doing so much more right now that 
I I I I can't stop gushing over him. He's he's very good. I I want him on all my teams. I'm sorry I didn't draft him. I'm sorry I didn't buy low on him when we could have during draft season. And I think he's going to sustain it the rest of the year. Yeah, his O swing rate is down this year. His Z contact rate is way up. So he's choosing better pitches, and he's hitting more pitches in the zone. He is going to still strike out some. So you're not going to see that lofty 325 average sustain. I don't think he's a sub-200 hitter. I don't think he's above a 250 hitter, though. But I think you'll see the power-speed blend, and you'll, you'll get a lot out of him. You know, I didn't buy him this year in drafts because I thought the price was still too high. Um, you know, not that it was enormous this year like it was in the past, but still out of my comfort zone for a guy who's just been so bad. I'd rather take my money in that price range and spend it on the, you know, the Ryan McMahon and Bohm and those st- quantities I needed uh, rather than give another shot to this guy who's failed us three times before. Um, and do you disagree with anything uh, said uh uh, no, I don't disagree. Uh, so with Kelnick, this is where I got to get give my uh, my podcast partner Justin Mason credit. You know, this was his guy this year. All winter we recorded, he's like, "I want Kelnick, I want Kelnick, I want Kelnick." Yeah, uh, the talent's still there. I hear he's working with a new coach. He's working on things, uh, and like one year, every year Justin's got a guy. Like two years ago, obviously he you know made a big a big name with uh, Cedric Mullins breakout season. And this year, Kelnick was his guy everywhere. Uh, and then Kelnick came out and had a good spring. And that's really what drove up his draft price because, you know, in the off season, you wanted to take Kelnick in, in November, December, January, he was there for the taking. Uh, even in February, he was there for the taking. And the, the big difference this year is he's not, you know, you could get him out. The easiest way to get him out previously was just throw him anything with a wrinkle anything that was not a fastball and there was no way he, he was going to do anything with it. And that's the, that's been the difference this year. He is absolutely murdering fastballs, uh, but the breaking stuff and off speed stuff, he's hitting 250 against both those pitches and he's not getting himself out at the rate that he was. And he's actually making decent contact off those pitches. You know, last year he was striking out over 40% against both those t- pitch types this year. You're still striking out. Uh, he's still striking out over 40% against off speed pitches, but who isn't everybody's doing that. And if you're like, if you're murdering fastballs, then that's kind of the, the, the tax you pay is you're going to struggle against off speed because if you're, if you're out there hunting for him, that's going to happen. And so maybe that's what, how the league moves forward. I would compare that to like Brandon Lau. He was on a big heater last week. And then this past week, Toronto and Houston gave him a ton of splitters and change-ups and soft stuff down. And he got cold. Then he goes into Chicago today and Dylan Cease is like, oh, he can't hit my fastball. I'm going to announce my presence with authority. And Brandon Lau hit his, uh, hit a home run and almost had a cycle tonight uh, against Chicago pitching. So it, it really comes down to how, how Kelnick's going to adjust. He made his offseason adjustments so far uh, in what you know, ninety plate appearances, he's doing extremely well. Now this, now the advanced scouts are have to give the report. Say, okay, guys, this is how Kelnick's changed. This is how we should attack him. And it's 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 a game of chess. You make a move, I make a move. You make a move, I make a move. And that's what I want to see how Kelnick adjusts to his first sign of adversity. Because right now he hasn't had any. He has just been up there mashing. Yeah, I thought uh, Justin Mason's guy this year was T.J. Friedel. That is his other guy. He had a guy in both leagues, but he has, if you're in a league with Justin, he has he has Friedel, or you sniped him on Friedel, and he's got Kelnick. He's got one or both those guys in just about all of his leagues, and I know he's doing really well this year. And the three of us are in a league in GDD with Justin Mason, and I waited the whole time with money, 
and I sniped, and I, I <laughs> Jason, oh, he was uh, dressed, mad about that. <laughs> yeah, he ran out of money, and ha-ha, gotcha, and I knew he wanted him. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Sorry, Justin. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do some pictures here. Uh, Jason, how about Joe Ryan, who <laughs> looks like the ace of the league? He's got the new sweeper, strikeout rate 30%, walk rate 3%, ground ball rate, well, it's still just 35%, but it's up from the past. Uh, he's still limiting home runs, which he's done all his career. I mean, we know there's going to be some regression, but, man, this guy looks really good. I like what the Twins are doing with their pitching this year. Uh, I think we should ride Joe Ryan. What do you think, jo- uh, Jason? So I think this is your payback for me mentioning Kelnick uh, earlier, the oh. Kelnick for Diaz, because you remember Sorry. this is the guy that the Rays traded for Nelson Cruz. Uh, at the time, I, 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 you know, I am a long-time Nelson Cruz wonk. Love the guy. I've always wanted him on Tampa Bay. Like as far back as 2008, I wanted him on Tampa Bay. It finally happened. This was the tax that had to be paid. I was not happy that this was the guy that they had to give up uh, because I really love watching Joe Ryan pitch. Uh, the big thing with him is obviously the invisible, the way his, his delivery and the ball is really tough to pick up. And as you mentioned, he added the sweeper, which he really did last year, but the big difference this year is he added the splitter. Uh, and so now he's got three swing and miss pitches that are generating swings and misses of 25% or higher. Each of them are doing that. And so he's got he's got that. And that's really been the 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 gap that was missing because the his he used to throw a straight changeup. Didn't work. It wasn't working for him. The splitter is, is working for him much better than the changeup was working for him. And now he's got the breaking balls and stuff. He's not having to lean on the fastball as much as he has in the past. There were times in the minors where he was throwing his fastball 72 to 75% of the time uh, because he could get away with it, with, with the ride that he has on his fastball and whatnot. But he looks like a more complete pitcher now because of uh, an, an effective off-speed pitch. That that was the missing piece, and that gets back to what I was talking about earlier about process change. What has changed? This guy's doing something. He's doing really well. Why? Let's look at it. Oh, yeah, that. That's something. And again, that can't guarantee success all year long. New pitch is not going to do that. But right now, we can at least look at it and say, oh, that's why he's doing better because the league's hitting a buck 39 off his splitter instead of hitting 277 off the changeup that he was using last year. That's going to be a difference. He's got confidence in that pitch, and he can use it. And he's throwing it to righties and lefties. His regular changeup was something he really only threw to lefties. He didn't use it to righties. And so that's where it's like if you're a righty, you're a lefty, you have to think which of these three pitches is coming out. And, oh, by the way, this guy's got a really tough release point to begin with. So it's really tough to make that make that differentiation out of the hand because you don't see the ball out of his hand really well. Ruben, anything to add? Yeah, I'm just going to echo a little bit because that, that splitter he's throwing, he's throwing at 26% of the time, and he hasn't thrown any curves or change, change-ups at all this year. So he basically changed his entire repertoire. He went from a four-pitch pitcher to a three-pitch pitcher, eliminating two pitchers and adding another. So I think this is sustainable. Um, he's at the same uh, K rate as he had in 2021, so the strikeouts are up because of the same release point with the splitter and the fastball. I think he's a buy-now guy, and if and people are willing to sell him, he's a guy to buy. He's young. He's 26. He's on a team that's on, that's in first place. We're going to be in the pennant race. I think it's a good buy at this time. And I would, add, you know, to your point, that's a great point. Uh, observation about getting rid of some of the pitches. Like if you, you guys follow Jeff Zimmerman on Twitter, he's got this wonderful little uh, diagram 
Like, hey, do you throw more than three pitches? Yes. Hey, is your Darvish? Is your name yeah. you Darvish? No. Then stop <laughs> doing it, dummy. And like that's a great example with 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 uh, with Ryan. You know, he threw five different pitch classifications last year, and you can look at some of those. But like, nah, that's not like is a, a changeup and a curveball both had sub twenty percent whiff rates. Get rid of them. They're not doing their job. Uh, and and emphasize what's going well for you. And the sweeper was, and the slider, which he you know it, the uh, and the fastball he's still able to get swings and misses because his fastball is so unique so he's he's using what he does best and that's what i'd like to see some of these other pitchers it's like stop trying to throw the kitchen sink and just emphasize what you're really really good at and execute those and then maybe surprise them every now and then with a with a fourth pitch but find three good ones uh three of them that you can throw to lefties and maybe two that you throw to same side guys because you know there are not a lot of guys with throwing uh off-speed pitches to uh, righties throwing off-speed pitches to right-handed hitters or lefties doing it to lefties it just doesn't happen that often but with a splitter you can get away with that so let's talk about Marcus Stroman. Now, Marcus Stroman, I n- did not like last year going into it. He had a decent year, but I liked him this year, and I have him on a couple of, of teams. Here's somebody who I, I saw the projections, and I really thought that they just got the whip wrong. I mean, Stroman hadn't thrown below a 115 whip in, since 2019, and yet projections are 129, 132. Uh, I just thought that was wrong. And Stroman lasts long into games. These This day and age, when you lo- last long into games, you have more of a chance of wins, and the Cubs have enough firepower to give him some wins. Uh, so I thought Stroman would be interesting. And he, he does have the occasional blow-up, but the volume that he produces masks it, and he never ends up with a very high ERA. I think he had a, a 5-5 ERA in 2018, but from 2017 to now... ERA is worst year was last year, which was a 3-5. So this is a good guy for ratios. And by the way, his strikeouts are actually up this year a lot. 26% strikeout rate. He's never had anything close to that. The most was 22%. Uh, I like Strobid. Um, and I think the hot start is legit, sure. A little bit of regression. But uh, I think it's a guy you can count on. Any disagreement on that, Ruvain? Yes, I, I'm not a big Stroman guy. Um, last year, he in May, his ERA was 1.5, and in July, it was 0.89. He pitches well certain months. He pitched well in April last year. He ended last year, even with those minuscule ERAs, he ended up last year with a 3.5 ERA. So you mentioned blow-ups. There is going to be a regression to the mean. I think he's going to, pitching at Wrigley Field um, over the course of the summer, he is going to have those more than just one occasional blow-up. I think he, there's going to be a regression, and if you have him on the team, I think this is the time to sell high on him and try to get as much as you can. And yes, his strikeout rates are up. That's great. But he's not typically a, a strikeout pitcher. He's known to be a ground ball pitcher. So the fact that he's getting more strikeouts, he's throwing more pitches. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that. Um, if, if he was on my roster, I'd probably trade him at this point. Yay or nay on Stroman. Uh, yeah, he's not the guy that I was talking about getting rid of right away, but I could, I could uh, see myself doing the same. It's, yeah, you know, we we look at his his repertoire. He throws six different pitches. I mean, getting off of what we were just talking about with Joe Ryan, but it's like that's what that's what Strowman has to do because he doesn't have the velocity to 
to blow guys away when he needs to. So he's got to rely on that kind of like wide open repertoire and try to get the soft contact. And, you know, I, I can't explain where the strikeouts are coming from right now because he's not throwing any new pitch and he's not throwing any pitch any more frequently than he did last year. I mean, nothing down dramatically. Tick, actually. He's down I'm sorry? And he's also down a tick on Velo. Yeah, also. so it's just like that, that, that's where it's like, oh, he's throwing a little less uh, and no, nothing new. And so it's like, where's this coming from? And when I, when I ask, when I have to ask that question, where's this coming from? So as quickly as it showed up, it can go away. And it's like, to me, it's like, this has got to go. I, I don't know where this is coming from, uh, but I don't know how it, how it lasts. If he can continue to get this type of, um, batted ball fortune uh with it because i mean he doesn't have this he doesn't have the stuff for the lead to be hitting 186 off his sinker and 148 off his slurve and you know 214 off his cutter i mean these are these are numbers that shouldn't go with this stuff given his history he's been much more hittable than this and i don't you know i have not watched him pitch a game this year so i can't tell you if there's anything different to his release point his delivery any of that but I'm looking at this profile on on Savant, and I cannot figure it out. I'm like, where is this coming from? Because I I I can't put the pieces together. Yeah. So I said I like him, but I still think he. I mean, he's much lower level than than Joe Ryan or anything. This is a more of a match a play, or if you're in a deep league, then you're starting him every week. Uh, but I, I I'm okay with riding with him. I think there's uh less there's gonna be less volatility week to week with him. I think that the volume will make up some some of his flaws. Uh, and I think the whip will be decent. So even if he doesn't strike out people, I think he'll limit the walks going forward. Something's got to give it at least. Um, let's talk about two Blue Jays. Yusei Kikuchi, Jose Barrios. Now very very different stories of why we're bringing him up. Jose Barrios, somebody who has did not have success last year. Not in Toronto. Uh, looked terrible his first two outings. And then, suddenly, his last three outings, 19 innings pitched, 18 strikeouts, only two walks, three earned runs. That's like a 1-4-2 ERA. And that included pitching against Tampa Bay and Houston. So it wasn't like he's pitching against these uh, crappy teams here. And the question is what to do with him. Is he going to be back to his old self, or is this just a couple of lucky outings? And then there's Yusei Kokuchi, who... Looks like a different pitcher this year, and every week I tell Ruvain, Ruvain, you want to pick up this guy? This guy is looking good. Um, I see the strikeout rate of 26.4, only a 5% walk rate. His K-PB is 22nd amongst qualified pitchers. He's got a 3 ERA and a 111 whip. Um, you know, it's I, I can't say no to him. At least I got to roster him. I didn't start him against Houston, or, or, or where, and I, obviously I should have because he had a great outing, but... I think for the matchup play, and he's too stark this week. I mean, you're talking about a guy on the waiver wire. That's him. Um, what do you think, Jason, of these two guys? Are, are these uh, some people that you're interested in, or is he one of those the guys that you're getting rid of quickly? Uh, one of them's the guy I'm getting rid of quickly, and it's Kikuchi, but I want to talk about uh, Barrios first. It's like, so I did watch him in the game against Tampa Bay, and that came off the uh, the game where he got lit up by the Angels, and he did look better uh, in the in the Tampa Bay game. Was actually, you know, controlling. That's one of the things that he's done well here. Over, his, uh, in fact, over all the starts, really, is he hasn't hurt himself with walks, and that's been the big difference. You know, last year, he would get himself in the trouble with walks, but he's got a good defense uh, with him, and he's trusting it, and so he's not he's not really falling into trouble with the walks, and the strikeouts are coming. Uh, for him and that's really where but it's not the velocity it's really he's got the movement uh, on his pitches and I've been if you make me pick one of these guys and keep one of them I'll go with I'll go with Barrios 
because you know Toronto's going to have they're going to give him the runs. Uh, he'll have run support. That stuff should be there, and that's you know I, I trust him. Kikuchi's the one. I've been burned. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I have been burned by this guy so many times before. Um, and if he'll start out hot, and you're like, sweet. Like I, I even wrote up my, my article this week at RotoWire. He's one of the guys. It's like in the first half of the season, his batting average is 245. This is for the career. Second half, 285. ERA goes from 443 to 570. Velocity goes down month by month. Like every single year, he comes roaring out of the gate and then just fades. And that was living in Seattle. I don't know, maybe if the travel got to him, but it wasn't certainly like he was pitching in some hot conditions where it just melting him down. But his numbers in March and April, and then compared to the rest of the season, are night and day. And so to me, it's like, this is the guy, if somebody's hurting for pitching, you just, let's say you just lost Taiwan Walker. Somebody has Taiwan Walker, and you're concerned about the right forearm tightness. Or, or another pitcher, go sell this guy. Because this... Yeah, the, yeah, he's had some velocity, but he's done this before. Then it wanes off, and then you're left with the guy that we've always seen crash in the second half. I don't believe you know, he hasn't changed anything. You go, you go look, he's still the same pitcher. He's doing everything the way he has always done it. Uh, and the, the big difference right now is when you look at when you were looking at pitch types. When I looked at this, yeah, the league is somehow you know the league is hitting. 400 off his fastball with an XBA of 289. So it's like, oh, sure, there's a big difference. But 289 is not that great. It's the, yeah, the other pitches, the slider and the changeup, both have batting averages below 185, but the expecteds are 50, 60, 70 points higher in this regard. And so there's a gap here, and he's given up a lot of hard contact uh, and getting away with it right now. So I'll take my chances with Barrios, but I am absolutely trying to trade Yusei Kikuchi if I have him in a league, in a trading league, this week. I want to get in front of the meltdown that always shows up as April becomes May and May becomes June with him. Definitely different opinions here. And by the way, Ruvain, wasn't Jose Barrios your dark horse candidate for Cy Young this year? Oh, you seem to remember. Okay, that's good. Yes. <laughs> wow, yes, it's a lot my, better my, than my Blake Snell pick. My, my, <laughs> it, was my, it was my bold bold prediction that he finished in the top five in the – I think it said top five in the Cy Young. Um, he's turned it around. He he listen, he's done it before. He's had he's had a year and a half that wasn't good. Maybe he figured something out. There's always pitchers are creatures of a habit. Sometimes they'll go through streaks where they're not good, and all of a sudden they'll figure something out or or they'll have a pitching coach or another pitcher on the roster will come and show them something and they'll learn something or they'll tweak it just a little bit. And that little tweak makes the big difference. His his walk rate is down. I think that's the big part. It's down from two point three to around one point five this year. That's the biggest point if you have less traffic on the base pads then he'll give up less runs if you have less runs you get more you know get more swings and misses it is less contact it is it, everything it, it's just a it's just a waterfall everything just keeps coming that way as for kikuchi i keep saying i don't want him on the roster his, <laughs> did you see his what his strand rate is his strand rate is not sustainable. He is going to give up more runs. As soon as things heat up and he's playing in Toronto, they brought the fences in. You want to buy a guy who has, a like Jason said, a very good in the beginning of the year, bad later in the year. They brought in the fences when things heat up. I, I, I don't want anything to do with him. Yes, 100% trade, but actually, you know what? I trade high in Jose Barrios because you never know if he's going to revert back to what he was last year. Are you saying his 97.2% left on base percentage is unsustainable how dare you <laughs> I, I know that, that's a big of a re, bit of a 97.2 percent left on base percentage for kikuchi it's, right it's now. crazy it, it's that's just it, it, 
Yeah. <laughs> Six strikeouts, nine strikeouts, eight strikeouts. I mean, that's not. Well, what the last one was again? The last one did he didn't he have the White Sox? Everybody, you could strike out even pitching as softball style. I think you would still strike out five <laughs> of those guys. Uh, but yeah, he had the white. He had eight strikeouts against the White Sox. They they swing and miss at everything. Uh, and he had nine against Tampa Bay, which was again that for Kikuchi that was legit. But I would also, you know. Would have to say if it's a lefty on the mound, that means he didn't have either uh, Brandon Lau or Josh Lowe in the lineup. If he did, that's a that's a strikeout advantage, uh, and th- so the team has a different type of lineup against lefty pitching. Uh, but Kikuchi certainly looked good in that. I would give him that. He looked extremely good in that and gave up one solo home run uh, in that game. And this last one against the White Sox, it was the White Sox. That's what he should do. But he did handle the Yankees. But like I said. We've seen him do this before. We've already had one meltdown and five good starts, or four good starts out of five outings. But we've seen him get out the hot starts and just melt. You know, this is this is the warning. Go out and move him. Let somebody else absorb the regression. You got more than you ever thought you were going to get out of Kikuchi. So I said that he played the Astros. I, I It was the Yankees is what I was thinking of. But yeah. in any case, he's two start this week at Boston, at Pittsburgh. I mean, if you're in a... 12 team league you're not starting that if you're in a 15 team league think you're starting that no well, he's no. given up he's given up uh six homers six homers maybe that's a strand rate because he keeps giving up home runs <laughs> you're gonna let him play against the first place pirates i mean the pirates are, are actually they're they're running they have a good they have a good team he's on a good it's, team it's, but he can it, get it, wins no i i understand that the red sox i can understand but he can go into boston and blow up give up seven runs in the first yeah, two innings that and, and i then, would not want to touch boston hits in boston that's the thing they they do well in fenway the offense really clicks in fenway that's not a matchup this, like I said, this there's a reason why I want to trade the guy this week. I don't want those starts next week. All right. Well, <laughs> let's see what happens. I don't know. I'm my fingers on the push button of activate for him. I don't know. Should I press it? We'll find out next week what happens. Uh, let's go. <laughs> let's go to the waiver wire section of our show. That's where we talk about a couple of potential uh, waiver wire pickups. Let's start with you, Jason. Who's somebody that you would like to pick up this week? So I'm looking, I will give you a a name from a 15-team league and a name from a 12-team league for hitters. Uh, And so for for a 15-team league, because I mentioned earlier uh, middle infield and some problems there, J.P. Crawford is getting hot. Uh, You look, he had a grand slam earlier this week. Uh, He's getting on base. And as coaches will say, it sounds cliche-ish, but it's the truth. If you're walking, you're hitting. He's getting on base. Uh, He still was first base this week, along with the grand slam. Uh, beggars can't be choosers up the middle right now. Uh, and Crawford's in a, in a lineup that should start doing well. And so J.P. Crawford, somebody is sitting on the 15 team in my NFBC, in my uh, TGFBI league. He is on the free agent pile. He is somebody I will be betting on this weekend. And in a 12-team league, uh, you know, catcher's always a mess. And Jan Gomes is doing extremely well right now. And he's only being rostered in half of, of 12-team uh, mixed leagues. And he's having a great season. I was surprised to find him uh, on the waiver wire uh, in my uh, 12-team Rotowire online championship. So that's another guy that I'll be bidding on. I don't know. I don't like the J. Uh, I don't like disagreeing with the guest, but I don't know. The okay. J.P. Crawford, uh, you know, he does this every year where, you know, he projects like, oh, he's going to steal some bases, maybe have a couple homers, and he just doesn't. I mean, his career high in stolen bases is six, and his career high homers is nine, and they're not in the same year. Um, I feel like... He, I feel like he's a 250 hitter and just just very, very unproductive. Gives not much of the counting stats. And he's batting ninth. 
and Seattle's not the best offensive team. I mean, sure, obviously the right depth, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's no upside also, right? Like at this time of year, um, and, and again, I, I don't mean to doubt your, your opinion uh, on this, but like this time of year, you know, I, I think you need a little bit more upside than a J.P. Crawford in, in a pick. And unless you're decimated by injuries and you just need something in the stats, I don't know. No. Yeah, for me, it really the, the the other factor is like I mentioned, it, up the middle. Beggars can't be choosers. If you've been yeah. hurt, there's been a few middle infield injuries, and there, especially at shortstop, and there he sits. Uh, like I said, he's he's hit ninth, but he's getting on base. I mean, the eighteen percent walk rate, uh, four oh seven OBP. The opportunities are there for him. Uh, Dylan Moore uh, may be coming back soon. Uh, he had a setback on his rehab. He had some scar tissue and that oblique injury. So he was due back last week, and now he's probably going to be out a few more weeks. So the playing time is still there for Crawford. And, you know, he – and who knows? If Colton Wong doesn't get out of this ice-cold slump, Colton Wong may lose his job, and all of a sudden we now have we now have Crawford gaining more playing time oh, he, even he with more time. coming in. Oh yeah, he had 600 plate appearances last year. He had 687 the year before. Mm-hmm. They they play him. You know, defense is good. Um, but yeah, and by the way, you know, I, I think disagreeing and debating on the show is good for the show. That oh, you echo know, chambers suck. No, I, I'm yeah, absolutely fine you know. with. I'm absolutely so, fine with echo chambers totally. suck. You don't learn anything in them. Yeah, Ruvain, how about your waiver wire pick for this week? Okay, well, I don't mind the J.P. Crawford thing because J.P. Crawford, even if you give you an empty batting average, that's still a batting average. That's still He'll still give you something. But anyway, um, I have three waiver wire guys. First guy I'm going to mention is a Red Sox prospect, Jaron Duran. He, since being yeah. called up, he's 10 for 40 with a home run of stolen base and two stolen bases. He's only owned 32% of CBS, and if you need an outfield guy, I know outfields can be very shallow. You want to take a, a gamble on him, he's a perfect guy to take a gamble. Another guy to take a gamble who's normally a good starter but not that great of a finisher during the course of the season, and that's Connor Joe. He didn't have that great of a week this week, so if he's available, you may be able to get him, but he's still batting over 300. He's got a couple home runs. He's got a stolen base. Um, I guess you can play the hot, hot hand because, listen, he's owned in 33% in CBS leagues and 25% are starting him. So the fact that when you when people get him, they're actually playing him. So that, that shows something. And another guy who's only owned in 28% of leagues is Alex Kirilov. He is due to come off of the IL this week, May 2nd. He could see some playing time. He's been hitting pretty decently in the, in the on his rehab assignment. So he's a guy, if he's available and you want to make a kickstart at first base, he's a guy you may want to look at. Yeah, I'd lo- uh, two things real quick, uh, a follow-up. One, uh, if I could, if we were on video, I could hold it up because Connor Joe's name was the, one of the top ones that I had written down. And I'd started from Same the here. bottom, went with Crawford. <laughs> so I love that. He even homer, homered today. But yes. the other thing to your uh, to the Kirilov coming back, the other name I would throw out there is Michael Brantley. He's close. Like if you have, if you're allowed to fab hurt guys, I know some leagues I'm in, you're not allowed to do that. But Michael Brantley's getting ready to head out in rehab, which means he could be back by next week. And when he comes back, Dusty Baker has shown uh, shown an affection to hit Brantley higher in that lineup than he really should be. And if he can get higher in the lineup, it puts him in a nice spot for scoring runs. You know the batting average is there. That's what he, he can hit 300 and sleep. And so if you can get advance, uh, get a jump on Michael Brantley, who could be back next week, strongly suggest that too. Yes, on Brantley. Uh, absolutely. He's always hit when he's up. And Connor Joe, absolutely. He's he's shown that he can hit in April and May, and then he is fading. But while he's hot, while the Pirates are hot, and by the way, we mentioned him earlier in the show, Jack Sawinski. 
I'd pick him up. He's 35% owned. In deeper leagues, as I'm talking, 276, five homers, four stolen bases. These are the same numbers that Andrew McCutcheon is putting up this year. And, uh, you know, there's going to be regression here, but Pirates are looking good. He has the power. We've seen power in the past from him. He had 19 homers last year and only 320 at-bats. So the power is there. Will the mm-hmm. average stay? No. He's a 235 hitter at best. But the power is there, and, you know, the Pirates can steal. And he's one of those guys in the gang or in, in the – what's the better word for, for a gang of Pirates in the, uh, I guess uh, – the Bucks, or I don't know. I Gaggle? couldn't think of anything clever there. But. Gaggle? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and one other guy to mention, uh, by the way, we did mention uh, Gallo, of course, if he was available, pick him up. But uh, Matt Mervis. Um, Matt Mervis, very, very, very highly touted guy. He's just killing it in AAA. There is absolutely nothing that he has left to prove. I still don't understand why the Cubs they signed. Hosmer and Mancini. I have no idea why they signed both of them. I know Hosmer is like a league minimum deal, but Matt Mervis is 100% ready. Um, he's got a 17% walk rate, 19% K rate in the minors. This is very similar, I think, to Vinny Pasquantino's profile. Oddly enough, we had both of those guys on our show this year. Uh, but he's definitely a stash you want because I think he'll be up sooner rather than later. Uh, and this is just a great pick. So, uh, I, you know, I would. So here's my turn to disagree on on the. All right, uh, on I was waiting that. for so, that. Matt Mervis, and this this comes from a friend of mine who really watched the World Baseball Classic closely. We were I was in Atlanta with him last week, uh, my buddy Jeff, because I know he'll tune in to listen to this. But he was saying like, hey, you know, Matt Mervis didn't looked overmatched uh, in in playing and some of the stuff he saw in the spring, and he wasn't surprised that Matt Mervis wasn't getting the uh, wasn't getting uh, the is not up yet uh didn't buy night we saw him in the afl so you know those of us that were in the afl in november yes. it was like oh my god oh my god this is great but yeah he there's a reason why you know when the cubs got eric hosmer like huh but then when they went out and got trey mancini as well it's like okay maybe they see something that they want they definitely want matt mervis to get some more baking time down in iowa uh so it's like when you sure. do it one if one's a placeholder two there's a reason why they did it you know, when you when you put two guy two names in his way, uh, and neither of them are doing that great, and they're still in his way, there's clearly something there they want him to work on. Yeah, no, no doubt. Obviously, there's something he has to work on. Um, I don't know. World Baseball Classic. We're talking spring training here. Like, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not pick him up. Of course, he but the good yet. pitching. That's the thing. It's it's like the matter. It's a matter yeah. of that. So that's no, I understand. that's good. But like I said, that got my attention when they put two guys in his way. I was like, okay, Matt Mervis is way down my depth charts. I didn't get him anywhere, even in the winter time, uh, because you know the one was like, oh, okay, that you know maybe I'm going to lose April. But then the second guy is like, forget it. Well, agree. Uh, and and I didn't have him anywhere either. I didn't stash him anywhere. But I think now's the time that you might want to think because right now he's free. And when he comes up and he's one of those prospects on the waiver wire, especially in the NFBC where, you know, you can't bid on him until he actually comes up, uh, he's going to be $300. You know, in a, in a league where you can pick him up now, you can get him free. You won't be able to get him free when he comes up, which I think is soon. Because he just, he's just raking in AAA now. So, But also, also Matt Mervis, when he was playing in, in the World Baseball Classic, he was batting cleanup. When he comes up, he's not going to be batting cleanup. He's going to be batting maybe sixth, seventh, or maybe even eighth. So I think there's more pressure on him during the spring than there would be in the majors. He didn't really have any lineup support. He was on Team Israel. So, I mean, you Jock know. Jock Peterson, that's it. 
Jock Peterson, yeah, so, you know. All right, pitcher preview. That's where we talk about some two-star pitchers and one-start uh, one matchup. Um, you know, I used to play the drop where, uh, um, you know, just see who's playing the Pirates, but the Pirates are actually pretty good this year. I got to change the drop to uh, who's playing the Tigers this week or something like that. All right, uh, well, it's not Yusei Kikuchi for you, Jason, but who are you picking up this week? Uh, so I had when I was looking at three starts, I'm hoping I'm not taking anybody's. Uh, I wrote down three different names for this one, but one. So I'll go with the first one uh, that way. And if you guys don't mention the other two, then we can circle back to me. Um, but one of them, the the one I looked at, it was somebody I recommended a couple of weeks ago after a really bad start. And I said, man, if somebody has him in the in your league and they're willing to trade him, jump on him. And that's Hayden Wisniewski. He's got a two-start next week against Washington and the Marlins. You can't ask for better than that. Wisniewski has pitched better since that, that blow-up start three starts ago. And so to me, when I look at the two-start pitchers coming up for this week, he is at the top of the list for me. Yeah, th those are pretty good matchups. Uh, Ruvain, what about you? I got two, actually. I have Tyler Wells. I, I love these pictures from the Orioles. I seem to mention them every week. He's 23% owned in CBS. He's a possible two-start at KC at Atlanta. I love the KC start. I'm not so hot on the Atlanta one, but that's what it is. His last three starts, 18 innings, 15 strikeouts, three walks. I like those ratios. Um, I know they're away, so it's it's not the best uh, of uh, match matchups. But if you want to try someone, I mean, if you're willing, like I mentioned last week when I when I told people to pick up a pitcher who would get five, who go, I, I picked, I mentioned Dean Kramer. I said you'll may, you'll probably get a win out of him, but you'll probably give up also five or six runs. Same idea with Tyler Wells. If if you can handle that and you want the win at this this early stage in the season, I, I'd say that's a go for it. Also. Kenta Maeda is supposed to be two-start this coming week. He was sent for testing for his elbow. The guy they're going to bring up, most probably, is going to be Bailey Ober. He's only owned in 11% of CBS leagues right now. He pitched one so far, is at the White Sox. Seems like everyone's pitching is the White Sox. He, he five and two-thirds, four strikeouts. He got the win. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, this, this coming week he's pitching against the White Sox and against Cleveland. So he pitched once already, five and two-thirds, four strikeouts, he would be a possible two-start, but he's in the minors right now. So you have to hope that he gets called up either before the fab or you know, or, or they start rumoring him to be, because otherwise you may just end up picking him up and he may still be in the minors. All right, I'll throw one name in. I'll go back to Jason. But Domingo Herman, 50% owned on CBS. He's playing against Cleveland and Tampa Bay. Not the most fantastic starts, but I like the pitcher. He's got a 22.4% K minus BB. That's a 31% strikeout rate. That's pretty good. And a, he's got that pairs with a 17% swinging strike rate, 33% CSW. The guy can strike out batters. Uh, now, look at his ERA estimators. His FIP is 5.45. His XFIP is 3.47. Sierra 3.45, which means he has a home run problem. For those who don't, aren't familiar with FIP and XFIP, the biggest difference is uh, XFIP assumes a league average home run rate. So if you have a much better XFIP than FIP, it means you've got a home run problem. He's got a 28% home run to fly ball ratio. Maybe that's lucky. Maybe he's a little bit more home run prone. But if you think he's lucky, uh, unlucky, and he's had five home runs given up in the last two outings, uh, then obviously there's regression better, and he's got the strikeouts there. Uh, he's lasting six innings every start pretty much. Pitches for a good team, the Yankees, so there's run support to get the wins. And, you know, at this type of, of level, if, if you're picking him up to be your seventh starter, 
I think just having a good strikeout pitcher is sometimes fine. If you got the the ratio help to combat, uh, uh, you know, some bad outings, he's going to give you those strikeouts. Those counting stats count, and the wins count. Wins are sometimes hard to come by. So I think he's a decent add um, in a matchup play. Like uh, depending upon the week, if you have him, play him in a good matchup. I think it's a, it, it's a good play to have to have him, Jason. Anyone else? Uh, agreed. So the other the other two names that I had down, uh, one for the same reasons as Wesnowski is Drew Smiley coming off the the near perfect game. Thanks a lot, catcher. Uh, that was he's terrible. He's got the same matchups. Oh, so bad. I was I was in Atlanta uh, watching it in the battery. I was like, come on. You got a perfect game. Oh, Let's so just tackle bad. the pitcher. <laughs> so bad. Uh, anyway, he's got the same matchups. Uh, and so, yeah, there. And then I want to go with Luis Garcia. I know he out, he got off to a rough start of the season. But yeah, like I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, the, the Astros went on the road. Uh, I'm sorry, didn't go on the road, but they had Toronto at home. And Garcia pitched extremely well. Two two hits over seven innings, nine strikeouts against Toronto. And then Tampa went to Tampa Bay, had a quality start. No earned runs, six shutout innings, and seven strikeouts. Hasn't allowed a home run in his last two against two of the best offenses in baseball. So, And then this week coming up, he's got the Giants, who don't hit well, and the Mariners, who are up and down. So those are it's a really good two-start there. Uh, for him as well. It, you know, it's not like he's going to be sitting out there, but that's what your two start. So it's like one of these things where you're looking at lineup. I know his overall numbers may not look terrific this year. You're like, oh, four ERA, two wins and five starts. But those last two starts were really good. So maybe it's somebody you consider trading for. Smiley is probably still sitting out there on the free agent list. At least he was when I was looking at something. Uh, you know, the When I was looking at one league this week, he's still sitting out there. Uh, Garcia won't be, but maybe that's somebody you want to consider trading for uh, while his ERA is still at four. Hey, Jason, quick thoughts on Tanner Bybee. He had a great start against Colorado, and he faces the Yankees this week, but he'll be against Detroit the following week. Um, Are you into it? It seems like a great changeup and an enormous strikeout rate. I, I honestly, this this should be a rule of thumb for any fantasy pitch. If if Cleveland's calling up a starting pitcher, get in. They have a phenomenal track record of getting their guys ready for the major leagues. Logan Allen looked phenomenal on Sunday. Uh, Bigby looked good as well. So uh, Bybee rather. So it's they do a really good job. They have a. It's one thing Cleveland. That's one thing they're doing really well. They're not hitting this year. They're not. They're underperforming as a team, and it's it's uh, frustrating to watch because I really thought they uh, could do really well this year, but so far they're not. But the pitching, the, those two young pitchers this week, is exactly what that team needed. Uh, but it should be a rule of thumb for folks if Cleveland says, "Hey, we're bring you see a pitcher come up." Get on them uh, before anybody else. Does. Just get on them, make the pick up the move, make a drop for somebody because these guys are well prepared. They do an r- excellent job of developing their pitchers in their system. But be careful, be, be careful with Bybee because he's only had three starts at AAA. He was in Double A last year, so he may still need some more seasoning. So you never know with these young pitchers, though. True, mm-hmm. true. All right, moving injury report time. What say you? Okay, we'll start with a catcher. We'll start with Mitch Garver. Uh, Texas general manager Chris Young said that Chris uh, that Mitch Garver is going to be out for at least another month. He had an MRI that showed more than uh, a, a significant sprain. Um, so it's he'll probably be back in probably mid-May, late May. Um, Jonah Heim is going to get most of the starts now, but also if you need a really need a backup catcher and for you know, empty average. Maybe you can get Sandy Leon. Maybe he'll do some stuff there. Um, Yohan Moncada was diagnosed with a protruding disc in his low back, which sounds like a disc herniation. Um, he said, uh, general manager Rick Hahn said he, he is improving, does not need surgery, but is due to miss multiple weeks. So Jake Berger seems even more 
ensconced there at third base as long as he doesn't get hurt. Will Smith, the catcher from the Dodgers, should be coming back this week or hopes to come back this week, and he may be in the DH row only just because they want to ease him back in because J.D. Martinez is having back issues. They may end up placing him on the aisle because of a back issue that he got when he was he, he, he felt some tightness on the left side of his back when he was running the bases a couple days ago, so that's just something to watch for both of those guys. Carlos Carrasco, he actually threw his first bullpen session, and if all goes well, he could return mid-May. And also, this happened today as we are on this podcast. Aaron Judge was taken out of today's game with right hip discomfort. He slid awkwardly, uh, I think it was yesterday, into third base. He Right away, he ran into the dugout with his arm and at, a, at an awkward angle, but it seems like that after an at-bat, he was wincing in pain. Um, it may be a hip issue because it looked like he did sort of a belly flop when he did that slide. I'm not saying it's anything, but it's something just to monitor, and you have to watch the news and see what's going to happen with him. Yeah, well, that's not good to hear. Aaron Judge, an injury. Uh, you know, we knew he had injury risk, but, you know, this this is obviously a little fluky. Uh, best, uh, listen, I, I hope he stays healthy. He's a big part of New York and the team and uh, that big contract there. So you got to fulfill it, man. So get back on the field. Yeah, that's surprised he let that hand, because uh, that slide was ugly yesterday. Uh, yeah. When it first happened, it looked like, that was going to be a, a wrist injury, and he was fine. But this, a, this... a wrist or a shoulder, the way the right, way he said yeah. it, it was almost like a belly flop. Yep, it was it was not pretty. <laughs> that Garver news is certainly disappointing for me. I have Garver in five different leagues. Uh, he was somebody that I was hoping to get the five ca- games a catcher out of real quick and and have a really nice catcher. And uh, it it, it may, he's got three, and it may be a while. We may be waiting for the games four and five once he comes back from this injury, which I'm not expecting him back until June. Five for like, like Tout Wars. A lot of home leagues. I know CBS, it's 10. It's a lot. Yeah, more. some some other – one of my home leagues is three. One of it's one. Oh. Uh, so it's uh, – that's the one I don't have him in. It's like, ah, <laughs> that's the one I can't use him in. But I have him in both – I have him in both Tout and Labor. Uh, he was a he was a target, especially in, in um, one of the other leagues I was in. I kept throwing out utility-only guys. Uh, because we don't have a flex, and it was just like, okay, here's UT, here's UT, and I, I ended up with Garver uh, later. And or no, I got Yonor Diaz in that one. I'm sorry. Francisco Alvarez, he's only utility eligible right now also. I'm in, in, in NFBC, and yep. I'm in TGFBI. He's not catcher eligible, so I'm waiting for those a couple more games so he can get eligible also. Yep. Yeah, that's close. By the way, you guys see that reporter with Aaron, think of Aaron Judge, see that reporter that got canned today? For uh, for cursing in front of him, did you see that? I have heard. I've had. I've been. In, I've been in <laughs> locker rooms. I've heard a lot worse from other people. Uh, caught yeah, on video though. This is caught on. Yeah, news. but uh, news. yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I've heard a lot worse uh, before, and you know, it's not excusing it at all. But it is. Uh, it, I think it's a whole bunch of circumstances that come into play. It, there, it was but on video. On video in front of kids while Aaron George was signing autographs. I think that's probably Ooh, the kids why, part why I, did I didn't that. know about. Uh, yeah, definitely. watch yeah, the, There's a video out there. There's a video Ooh, out wow. there. Yikes! Haven't seen the video. They, they did not bleep anything out. So <laughs> even even Susan Susan Slusser had some comments on it today on Twitter. And you know, yeah. as just somebody who used to, she was. I don't know if she still is, but she was the uh, uh, the writers. What I forget the the. Baseball Writers Association of America. She was the leader of that for at some point, but she's got some comments on Twitter today about it that are worth your read. Yes. On that note, thank you so much, Jason, <laughs> for uh, for coming on the show today. Really good episode. We got down to the nuts and bolts of uh, you know cold players, hot players, and everything. So thanks so much. Why don't you uh, tell uh, the audience what's going on with you and all well, things Jason Collette? 
Sure. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I always enjoy coming on the show. I uh, see. Like I said, daily, I've been putting out uh, some stats, looking at how March, April stuff. I may take that into May because uh, I am enjoying the the morning, you know, over a cup of coffee, looking at numbers and and putting the putting it together real quick uh, on that. My collect calls column at RotoWire uh, went up today. It usually goes up Wednesday or Thursday, uh, and I looked at again some of the absurdities that we're seeing. With some guys are just like how is this happening good how is this happening bad and is this sustainable so that's going on i'll be recording with justin mason sleeper in the bus podcast uh, on sunday we do it pretty much every sunday unless there's like some major holiday like mother's day coming up probably won't be doing mother's day uh but yeah we have we'll, i'll be doing that and um i think that's it yeah that, that's it uh just really uh, enjoying the uh the new brand of baseball, the quicker games. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to see uh, more baseball because I'm not stuck three and a half, four hours into watching my favorite team. You know, sometimes those games are over in 220. I'm like, hey, I could go put another game on. So it's like I said, I'm really enjoying the season. Yeah, well, the jury's out for me. I, I'm gonna i I want to give it a couple of months before I make my ultimate decision about all the rules and whether I like them or not. I, hard for me to just say, well, you know, one month. So. I'm waiting on that, but uh, now point noted, it does it does seem somewhat enjoyable. Uh, and yes, you can follow Jason Collette at Jason Collette on Twitter. That's two L's, two T's. Ruvain, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. Next man up. I also have a weekly article on Rotoballer discussing all the injuries I discussed today, as well as many many others, and the next man up as well. I'm Ariel Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. That's the shortest Twitter handle in all of fantasy baseball writers, I think. Uh, I beat Spore. Beat him by a letter, right? Um, and <laughs> you can read my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. ATC projections, rest of season, are now up on Fangraphs. So check those out as well. And, of course, you can listen to me each and every week right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right, well, that'll do it for the show. Once again, thanks so much, Jason Collette, for joining us. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.